is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well... What a night and what a day that followed. And I read through all the columnists who want to be read. and I didn't listen to talk radio today, thank goodness. But I'm watching the news coverage of Alabama. It's amazing how fiction is created, isn't it? Amazing. Do you know that Roy Moore was so repugnant so repugnant to the Wall Street Journal editorial page and to National Review that at no time in the Republican primary, when those voices had an opportunity to try and influence voters, not that they could, they didn't endorse either Luther Strange or Mo Brooks, the real conservative in the race. Why is that? When I read David French, he was repulsed by Roy Moore long before the Washington Post stories. Same with my friend Jonah Goldberg. In fact, neither of them wrote columns endorsing either Luther Strange or Mo Brooks that I'm aware of. I asked our buddies at Conservative Review to check it out. Said they can't find anything. Can't find anything from National Review in terms of an editorial. Can't find anything... Uh, from the official editorial board uh, at the Wall Street Journal. None of them. None of them. And yet, wouldn't real conservatives, wouldn't real conservatives have looked at what was effectively a three-way race, or many candidates, but a three-way race, and take a stand, particularly if they're concerned about Roy Moore? The President of the United States took a stand. He backed Luther Strange. Now, I took a stand. I backed Mo Brooks. In the general election, I said that I would have voted for Roy Moore. Now, that was before the Washington Post charges came out, but I still would have voted for Roy Moore. As did almost half of the people who voted. In yesterday's election, despite the Democrat Party, the Washington Republican Party, the media, he almost won the race. Not because people in Alabama are reprobates, not because evangelical Christians didn't find their way, but because these issues are dropped in our laps and we have to try and make a decision as best we can. Now, I notice that there's a number of columnists and commentators who are convinced that Roy Moore is a pedophile or that Roy Moore did what his accusers say. That's fine, but there are people who aren't so sure. There are people who aren't so sure. 
But that's not the real reason. Not the real reason they object to Roy Moore. Let's start from the beginning. The beginning. What I consider the truth about this race. There was a Republican primary. And most of the people writing, patting themselves on the head for their moral superiority, many of the same people who hate Donald Trump, seem to start at the middle, not at the beginning. And I might add, if we had a presidential election today and Donald Trump was winning, he'd still win by a landslide in Alabama. So enough of this nonsense that Donald Trump lost Alabama and so forth and so on. Nothing to do with Donald Trump. Nothing. Zero. But it had a lot to do with Mitch McConnell. Immediately, the Republican establishment, their media surrogates, their surrogates who write op-eds and columns, their editorial page surrogates, their eyes are rolling. You stick with me. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. There was a Republican primary. Luther Strange was the incumbent. Not the elected incumbent. He had been appointed by a corrupt judge, a, a, a corrupt governor. Mo Brooks was a congressman and is a congressman from Huntsville, Alabama. Very, very solid conservative. And then Roy Moore. Mitch McConnell decided he was going to reach into the race in Alabama and try and control the outcome. And he wanted Luther Strange to win. Why did he want Luther Strange to win? Because he was a great conservative? No. Because he's a great man of incredible ethics? No. Because Luther Strange was the only one of the three who said he would vote for Mitch McConnell to be majority leader. Mo Brooks, the conservative, said, no, I won't support him, as did Roy Moore. Then McConnell and Rove, and a guy by the name of Stephen Law and others, they calculated that their biggest problem, should there be a runoff, should there be a runoff, no candidate getting 50% in the Republican primary, their biggest problem would be Mo Brooks. How do I know it? They told Politico that. They told Politico that. Uh, where is it? On uh, July 31st, 2017, Mo Brooks was the problem. And they spent millions and millions of dollars smearing Mo Brooks, character assassinating Mo Brooks, lying about his record. It got so bad that an old buddy of mine from some time ago, Ramesh Panaru over at National Review, he wrote a piece saying a failed hit on Representative Mo Brooks Referring to the Senate Leadership Fund, this is a front group, a PAC controlled by uh, McConnell, uh, that uh, he opposed the uh, wall. Mo Brooks was turned into an anti-Trump, pro-open borders, big government Republican. Complete and utter lies. Because McConnell, Rove, and this guy Law, they concluded that they needed to take out Mo Brooks. If there's a runoff, they could take Roy Moore. They'll beat Roy Moore. A runoff against Mo Brooks would be much tougher. Let me read a little bit. Let me read a little bit from this Politico piece. And you see, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, Mitch McConnell was wrong. He miscalculated it. They took out Mo Brooks, and they didn't defeat Roy Moore. 
in the runoff. Now, did they? Roy Moore was the nominee in part as a result of the not-so-clever shenanigans and efforts by the not-so-smart McConnell, Rove, and Law, who do this a lot from their offices in Washington, D.C. I won't read the whole piece. You can read the whole piece. There's other stories, too, about this. McConnell wages war down south, Politico, July 31, 2017. It's a massive undertaking. I'm only reading part of this. By McConnell and his allies on behalf of Strange. Was appointed a mere six months ago to fill the seat until a special election. That is the Jeff Sessions seat. In part, McConnell's urgency reflects his long-standing promise to protect besieged Republican incumbents in primaries. But it also underscores his struggles managing his narrow Senate majority, which were punctuated by the collapse of Obamacare repeal legislation last week after three Republicans broke ranks. This past week, Brooks, a member of the conservative House Freedom Caucus, said he would not vote for McConnell as majority leader and called for him to step down after the failure of the health care bill. Much of the Republican leader's efforts in the race is being overseen by the pro-McConnell Senate Leadership Fund. In April, the Super PAC held an event in Birmingham, Alabama, to outline its plans to defend Strange, who made an appearance for part of the gathering. Also present was former George W. Bush advisor Carl Rove, who knows Strange, a former state attorney general, from his past work on Alabama judicial races. We're in for Luther, money, marbles, or chalk, Rove told the crowd, according to one attendee. Since that time, the group has orchestrated a blistering assault against Brooks. Ads portray the four-term congressman as unsupportive of President Donald Trump, a damaging line of attack in a state where the president is widely popular. One recent Senate Leadership Fund TV ad used footage from 2016 in which the Alabama congressman called the then-candidate Trump untrustworthy. This is when he was backing Cruz in the Republican primaries for president. The offensive was born out of private polling the group conducted in May, testing how voters in the state felt about Brooks's comments about Trump last year. There's evidence that the attacks are taking a toll on the congressman. An independent survey released last week showed Strange leading with 33%, Moore with 26 and Brooks at 16 Remember, the goal here was to take out Brooks and to run against Moore. The Senate Leadership Fund has spent $3.5 million on the race. Turns out they spent more. By far the largest expenditure of any outside group. This is the McConnell group. Yet that figure is expected to grow significantly, especially if no candidate receives a majority of the vote in the August 15th primary and the contest is forced into a September runoff, as is widely expected. The group has pledged to drop 6 to $8 million. The McConnell team is trying to rattle Brooks also. Republican strategist Ward Baker, a McConnell ally whom the leader handpicked to serve as the National Republican Senatorial Committee Executive Director during the 2016 campaign, has been offering guidance free of charge to Clayton Hinchman, a 34-year-old West Point-educated Iraq War vet who has launched a primary campaign against Brooks for his North Alabama congressional seat. So committed were they to destroying Brooks that they said, you keep this up, we're even going to threaten your house seat. We got this great veteran, this hero, to run against you in the House. Now, this henchman is echoing many of the same themes national Republicans are using against Mo Brooks in the Senate race, casting him as deeply disloyal to the president. 
In an interview, Mo Brooks said he believed McConnell's fingerprints were all over Hinchman's campaign. Brooks said the leader had engaged in a systematic effort to strong-arm and bully candidates opposing Strange. While McConnell's team is increasingly optimistic, it later says, about strange prospects, it concedes the race hasn't been easy. Senate GOP officials have made it clear to the administration they would like to see Trump express some measure of support for strange. Yet three White House aides said they don't expect a Trump endorsement, and yet they got one. And it goes on. You can read it. They were targeting specifically, aggressively, overwhelmingly, Mo Brooks. They wanted to knock him out so they would have a chance to go one-on-one against Roy Moore. That's exactly what they did. They went one-on-one against Roy Moore, and they lost to Roy Moore. So conceited are they in Washington. So conceited are McConnell, Rove, Law, and the rest of them. They just thought they would knock off Roy Moore. And that's what they did. Roy Moore was the nominee of the Republican Party, Not because of Steve Bannon, who I suspect most people in Alabama do not know. He's the nominee of the Republican Party. More so because of the way Mitch McConnell decided to interfere in this race and the way it blew up in their faces. And so furious was Mitch McConnell, long before the Washington Post article came out, he would not support Roy Moore. Because he beat Luther Strange. Now all the moral preening by our new moralists out there, these columnists who keep telling us they told us so. Well, why didn't they tell us that? During the course of the Republican primary, why didn't they pick sides? They have big mouths. They write incessantly to each other, among one another. Why didn't they say during the course of the Republican primary, when the choice, Mr. French, was not binary, when the choice, Brother Jonah, could have been made right there and then? Why didn't you back Luther Strange then? Why didn't you back Mo Brooks then? Why did the Wall Street Journal editorial page not back Luther Strange? Why didn't National Review back Mo Brooks? And now, and now they want you to believe that they were right about this all along. They haven't been right about anything. They're not right about anything. The other thing that bothers me a lot about this is, who cares if they're right or wrong? This isn't about columnists, websites. It's not even about Mitch McConnell. The media have this all wrong, and I think intentionally so. What I'm about to say will be provocative and controversial to some of you, but it ought not be. There is no nationalist populist movement in this country. There are nationalist populists, but there is no great nationalist populist movement in this country. We won 2010 the House, we won 2014 the Senate. The Republicans, we won the presidency in 2016. Not because of a nationalist populist movement. Because of the good old conservative movement. 
the good old Tea Party movement. We've never gone away. We've never gone away. Doesn't mean we agree on everything. Doesn't even mean we agree on candidates. I want to further expand on this when I return. Chest is saying there's a nationalist populist movement. And I notice they've added nationalist populist conservative because people know what conservative means. Doesn't make it so. Who's the leader? Who's the leader? Donald Trump? No, Donald Trump, I don't believe, views himself and he's a nationalist populist. As a matter of fact, he says he's a conservative. I don't think he's a philosophical conservative. I think he's a nationalist populist. I even told him this when I met with him. I think the way he views things now is through his own life's experience and his own dealings with politicians in Washington, D.C. And he's not given enough credit, particularly by the never-Trumpers, for many of the conservative policy things that he's doing that Jeb Bush would not have done, that Kasich would not have done, that so many of them would not have done. He doesn't get credit. He doesn't get credit for facing down, rationally, North Korea, Iran, the Palestinians when it came to naming Jerusalem the capital, and on and on and on and on. More logic than allowed by law. The Mark Levin Show. Call now at 877-381-3811. So McConnell and his surrogates, who uh, who started all this in Alabama, who tried to fix the outcome of the Republican primary, many of the establishment Republican and McConnell surrogates in the pseudo-conservative and conservative media sitting on their hands waiting until after the primary, some waiting until after the runoff, to demonstrate to us how morally brilliant and strategic they are. I really dismiss them. What's the point? But we need to have a debate in this country. At least we conservatives, slash, and so-called Republicans. A serious debate. I'm not going to be bullied and kowtow to the dug-in old guard, which demands compliance, which has its surrogates all over the media, including pseudo-conservative and conservative media, telling us what to think, how to think, when to think, telling us how brilliant they are. They're not so brilliant, actually. See, I remember when Ronald Reagan was an outsider. I remember when he had a fight like hell to win the Republican nomination for President of the United States. I remember when he had to fight the Bush family. I remember when he had to fight Karl Rove and people like Karl Rove. There is a Republican establishment, and it almost succeeded in sabotaging a Reagan nomination. And they were vicious, and they're always vicious. 
Everybody challenging the Republican establishment, the Mitch McConnell types, and McConnell was a Gerald Ford guy, by the way. Every one of them is not Roy Moore. There are some very good people who are trying to defeat some very average, average people who have bought into this whole thing of big government and favoritism and lobbyists and telling us one thing while in Washington they do another. In fact, Mitch McConnell will never tell you that the greatest vote-getter in modern American history, modern Republican history, was the most conservative president in the last century, maybe in any century. He was an outsider. They tried to stop him. Mitch McConnell's friends tried to stop him. The Bushes and their friends tried to stop him. But they couldn't stop him. Because of this conservative movement. Not a nationalist, populist, agrarian movement. Not a Jacksonian movement. Just common sense conservatives. Who've had enough of big centralized government. They've had enough of being lied to. As they have now. And maybe we ought to talk about that kind of immorality. That'll never be leaked to the Washington Post. Never be leaked to any media outlet because they don't much give a damn. This kind of immorality they sanction. The immorality of telling the voters one thing and going to Washington and doing another. The immorality of putting your hand on a Bible and swearing to uphold the Constitution when in fact you have no intention effectively of holding, upholding the Constitution. When you get elected saying that you're going to repeal Obamacare and you don't, even the proposals to repeal Obamacare weren't repeals for Obamacare. When you talk about slashing taxes across the board, when in fact you're not slashing taxes across the board. When you say you're going to secure the border and you have no intention of securing the border. When you have a little kid and they lie and lie and lie over and over again, you realize you have a character problem on your hands. There's something wrong with your little kid. When you have a political party that does the same thing to the base that hands it a majority in the House, a majority in the Senate, and the presidency, you have a problem on your hands. But the answer isn't nationalist populism. The answer isn't to be a knockoff for the Democrat Party and to hold up Andrew Jackson as your great hero. The answer is to get back to first principles. And first principles are not abstractions, and they're not theories. It's our first principles that created this civil society. It's our first principles in this country where we, most of us anyway, respect individuality and freedom. It's our first principles that recognize private property rights. It's our first principles that recognize the dangers of a centralized government and the need to diversify power. It's our first principles that recognize federalism. It's our first principles that recognize unalienable rights of the individual and the family. It's our first principles that recognize the whole notion of a nation state. Those are the first principles that created the greatest country on the face of the earth, the greatest people on the face of the earth.
Why would I abandon that for Andrew Jackson? Why would I abandon that for Mitch McConnell? Exactly what is Mitch McConnell's vision for the country? Exactly what is the nationalist populist vision for the country? See, we conservatives have a problem. We're getting blitzed from both ends. I'm not talking about on the political spectrum, but we're getting blitzed from both ends. And we need to have a debate, a national debate, on who we are, where we want to go with this country, and how we're going to reform the Republican Party. And how we're going to reform the Republican Party. We need to have a debate. We must not be shouted down or bullied or threatened with political action committees or headlines or anything of the sort. The Democrat Party, the Democrat Party today is a party that attacks America's customs, traditions, and institutions daily. It's a party of demagogues, like Kirsten Gillibrand, a complete fraud and hypocrite. It is a party that seeks the endless, endless transformation of America. It is a party that supports lawlessness as long as that lawlessness justifies an end that they support, whether it's so-called sanctuary cities or an out-of-control special counsel investigating a fake issue like collusion with Russia by the Trump world. I was looking at the headlines. NRO, a failed hit. Uh, excuse me, uh, Washington Post. Let's see here, what am I trying Oh, Politico, rather. Got a lot of paper here. Five takeaways from Alabama's startling special election. The Hill. Five takeaways from the Alabama Senate upset. NRO. It's never fun to lose a Senate seat, but the GOP dodged a bullet. NRO, Alabama conservatives made their stand. Now, the irony on that one is previously Alabama conservatives and evangelicals were attacked for nominating Roe Moore. NRO, Roe Moore does the impossible. Roy Moore. Politico. Oh, well, whatever. You know the headlines. Maybe Mr. McConnell shouldn't have messed around in the primaries in Alabama. Maybe the outcome would have been different. Maybe the outcome would have been different. When you spend millions and millions and millions of dollars lying about somebody, smearing somebody, character assassinating somebody like Mo Brooks, that has an effect. Maybe Mitch McConnell should have stayed out of Alabama. Maybe Mitch McConnell should have treated the people of Alabama with some respect. And I also notice, almost completely absent from the pseudo-conservatives and so-called conservatives writing their columns, were the dirty tricks and arguments of the Democrat Party. Put Roy Moore aside for a minute. Electing the Republican would bring back segregation? The Republican was like George Wallace. The race baiting to get out the black vote was way over the top. 
way, way over the top. The Democrats get no criticism for that. We have to be of a myopic view. We're not allowed to look even across the aisle and criticize what they did. No, 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 you don't understand, Mark. The Republicans dodged a bullet. They lost the election. The Republicans dodged a bullet. They lost the election. And then we're told, poor Mitch McConnell only has 51 votes now. Poor Mitch McConnell created this scenario. Just the way he reached into Mississippi to save Thad Cochran, who doesn't even know how to tie his loafers. They keep talking about the race against Harry Reid in Nevada. That was a five-point race. He almost lost to the majority leader of the United States Senate. And that they treat the Republican like she's some kind of kook. She almost won. The Republican establishment, including Mitch McConnell, they talk about Indiana. Oh, poor Dick Lugar. He would have won, except he was knocked off by a nut in the Republican primary. He was not a nut. He was a good man. He'd been the treasurer of Indiana. They went out there and destroyed the guy, the Republican Party. They withhold money from him, and now we have a Democrat from Indiana. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. We had Ken Buck, who's now a congressman from Colorado. He won the Republican primary. They hated Ken Buck. He's running against this guy, Michael Bennett. The Republican establishment did everything they could to knock off Ken Buck, and they succeeded. We have a Democrat from Colorado. Take a look at Alaska and Murkowski. She lost the Republican primary, but she wouldn't give up. She wouldn't give up. A big government liberal who hurt us on Obama repeal. So she launches a write-in campaign and wins by the skin of her teeth. Some big tent, this Republican Party. The old guard doesn't give up easily. And they have their so-called conservative surrogates and the so-called conservative media and in the pseudo-media, pseudo-conservative media, who defend them, if not outright, certainly at a distance. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Very, very important point. I think people are Pollyannas. If they don't think the Republican Party is in trouble in the midterm election. Again, I'm not in the prediction business. I'm not really good at it. I thought more would slip through yesterday. Actually, it was Jones who slipped through yesterday. But I said, I'm not sure. But none of that matters. What matters is this. I think the conservative base of the Republican Party is dispirited right now. And I think the Democrat base is hyped up on the usual issues. But I think the conservative base, having delivered the House to the Republicans in 2010 and every election cycle thereafter, having delivered the Republicans, the Senate in 2014, having delivered the Republicans the presidency, and still having failed to repeal Obamacare, and Obamacare is a big thing in the lives of every American. 
still having failed to do anything legislatively whatsoever to secure the border, and I could go on and on. I think the Republican base is dispirited. At the same time, I think the President of the United States is doing everything he can on these issues. But he's not a king. He's not Barack Obama. Again, this is the fault of the Republican House and the Republican Senate, which, of course, gets a pass by the Wall Street Journal editorial page and the other pseudo-conservative elements out there. Because they hate Trump. But if you're sober about this, and you try to really think it through, and you don't have a stake in Trump's failure, or you're not humiliated by his victory, then you know I'm right. Look, I try to call him as I see him. I supported Cruz in the Republican primaries, and when he lost, I supported Trump against Hillary. It's that simple. And Trump wanted conservative support, and he went to Gettysburg. He gave a very solid speech, and he's tried to follow up on everything he said in that speech. That's more than Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the House and the Senate have done. They don't care about following up on their promises. And then you get the excuses. Well, they're a couple votes is all they have. Really? Well, then why make promises? Why not say, we're going to repeal Obamacare, but only if we have 57 Republicans? That's not what they say. That's not what they say. So the Republican Congress, the Republican House has been around longer than Trump. Republican Senate's been around longer than Trump. They have dispirited the base, the very people who brought them their majorities. Boehner would attack the conservative movement. And McConnell attacks in his book and otherwise the conservative movement. They can attack individuals. They focus on Bannon and so forth and so on. But it's bigger than that. It's more than that. He's a lightning rod. This isn't a put-down. I'm just saying he's a lightning rod. And he wants to be a lightning rod. Takes a lot of effort and work to be in the liberal media all the time. It takes a lot of behind the scenes activity and so forth. That's fine. But it's bigger than that. They don't like us. They don't agree with us. They are not about to do the hard work that's necessary to cut the size of government, to cut spending, to support federalism. They're not going to do it, despite what they say. You know, life is stressful, even worse when the IRS is after you for back taxes. You agonize when they'll show up, seize your bank accounts, put a lien on your home or garnish your wages, right? It was even worse for Lori. Lori was engaged but knew bringing $25,000 of IRS debt into the marriage was no way to start her new life. Lori did something really smart. She called Optima Tax Relief. Optima stepped between Lori and the IRS, analyzed her case, uncovered some game-changing facts that allowed them to settle her case in her favor. When Optima told Lori that her IRS problems were over, well, she called it the happiest call of her life, and her wedding was back on. Optima has resolved over half a billion in tax debt relief for their clients, and they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Getting your life back starts the moment you call Optima for your free consultation. Here's the number. It's simple. 800-499-6300. There you go. 800-499-6300. 
That's 800-499-6300. I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. I think we Republicans, we conservatives, we have a hell of a time coming up in the midterm elections. Not only are they typically tough for the party in power, but people are dismissing what took place in Virginia. The Republicans controlled 64 assembly seats in a 100-seat assembly. The outcome is still unknown. They're holding on to 51 seats, but they could lose it. That's a blowout. Absolute blowout. And by the way, Karl Rove and Mitch McConnell had their candidate, right? Gillespie. He was one of them. I'll be back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, I think we can agree, I don't expect the uh, media to agree, that the Mueller investigation is tainted beyond repair. And it wasn't Mueller who uncovered the fact that his lead FBI investigator was in fact a political hack driven by ideology and his girlfriend through his extramarital affair, and she too, having been temporarily working for Mueller, but it was the Inspector General who found that out, which tells you that Mueller doesn't even know what the hell is happening under his nose. Now, Rod Rosenstein is the Deputy Attorney General. He's the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, and to me, is a lot to answer for. I thought the Republicans did a pretty good job today, by the way. Now, here's the thing. In my view, he knows. He knows what he's doing when he's testifying there. He knows the obvious political bias that was taking place in the Mueller investigation. He knows it. He ultimately is in charge of the Mueller investigation. The reason he's ultimately in charge of it, because Mueller effectively reports to him. See, there's a good old boys network at the Department of Justice. I was familiar with this when I was there. And it's 98% liberal Democrats. Most of the conservatives have been pushed out of the Justice Department by now. How else do you explain the makeup of Mueller's team of Hillary and Obama donors? And the number two guy, Weissman. It was a complete reprobate. Why didn't Mr. Mueller reach out to other prosecutors? With a little bit more diverse backgrounds. Why all liberal Democrats? I told you this before and I believe it. The highest echelons of the FBI now are controlled by the left. Or 
Democrats or people who are sympathetic to those views. I think this is one of the reasons there's constant leaking. And James Comey leaked. He confessed because it was going to be uncovered when he was testifying before Congress as if it was no big deal, because I actually think for the highest echelons of the FBI, it is no big deal. And they have a long history of leaking. J. Edgar Hoover leaked. Uh, during Watergate, the number two deputy director of the FBI leaked because he was angry with Nixon for not giving him the directorship. And Mr. Mueller's operation has a long history of leaking, and they're leaking constantly. But this, this operation is absolutely poisoned with politics, poisoned with politics. The way the Hillary Clinton zero violations of the Espionage Act were not seriously investigated, the way she was not seriously questioned, the way evidence was not seriously secured or examined, the way others were not seriously examined. And then on the other hand, you have the Trump side. Uh, where we have a completely phony pretext, collusion with Russia. No basis, no evidence whatsoever. Pushed by the Democrats, agreed to by Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General. And off they go on the races. Now, let's take a look at some of this. Let's take a look at... uh, at the hearing of Ross Rosenstein, let's see here. Let me. I'm going to get some of the good stuff. Trey Gowdy does a pretty good job. He does a very good job when the cameras are on. I just wish he would do a better job when it comes to actually doing the work. But in any event, that's just me. Talking about this FBI agent, Peter Strzok, and the conflict of interest. Cut 18, go. And then we have a senior agent assigned to investigate Secretary Clinton's email. Help draft the exoneration letter. Will we change the language from grossly negligent to extremely careless? Interviewed Secretary Clinton in an interview I've never seen, and I doubt you have either in your career as a prosecutor. Interviewed Michael Flynn, who was actively involved in the investigation into the Trump campaign before the inspector general found his text. So this agent in the middle of almost everything related to Secretary Clinton and President Trump sent pro-Clinton texts, anti-Trump texts to his paramour in response to being told maybe he is where he is to protect the country from that menace, Donald Trump. He said, I can protect our country at many levels. And then he said Hillary Clinton should win 100 million to nothing. Now think about that, Mr. Deputy Attorney General. That's a pretty overwhelming victory. 100 million to zero. And when I read that last night, what I thought was this conflict of interest free senior agent of the FBI can't think of a single solitary American who would vote for Donald Trump. That's where the zero comes in. Not a single solitary American he can imagine would vote for Donald Trump. This is the conflict of interest free special agent assigned. And then he went on, if that weren't enough, to belittle Trump supporters by saying he could smell them at a Walmart in Virginia. This is the person we needed to avoid a conflict of interest. And then he said this, they fully deserve to go and demonstrate the absolute bigoted nonsense of Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the purpose of this special counsel office? Well, we need something independent from the Justice Department. Well, you certainly have that. 
but it's not independent from the Democrats or the left. Trey Gowdy went on. Cut 19. Go. But he wasn't content to just disparage Donald Trump. He had to disparage Donald Trump's family. This is what he said, Mr. Deputy Attorney General. He said the douchebags are about to come out. He's talking about our first lady and children. This conflict of interest-free special agent of the FBI. This is who we were told we needed to have an objective, impartial, fair, conflict of interest-free investigation. So he's openly pulling for the candidate he had a role in clearing, and he's openly investigating a candidate that he has bias against. And then if that's not enough, he says, Trump is an effing idiot. What the F just happened to our country? This is the same man that said he would save our country. What happens when people who are supposed to cure the conflict of interest have even greater conflicts of interest than those they replace? That's not a rhetorical question. You nor I nor anyone else would ever sit Peter Strzok on a jury. We wouldn't have him objectively, dispassionately investigate anything knowing what we know now. Why didn't we know it ahead of time? And, and, and my last question, my final question to you, and I appreciate the chairman's patience. How would you help me answer that question when I go back to South Carolina this weekend? Congressman, uh, first of all, with regard to the special counsel, uh, Mr. Strzok was already working on the investigation when the special counsel was appointed. The appointment that I made was for Robert Mueller. So what I'd recommend that you tell your constituents is that uh, Robert Mueller and Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray are accountable and that we will ensure that no bias is reflected in any of well, 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 And how are you accountable exactly? Now, let's not let that slide. How are you accountable? To whom? How? Where? When? Go ahead. Taken by the special counsel or in any matter uh, within the jurisdiction of the Department of Justice. When we have evidence of any inappropriate conduct, we're going to take action on it. Uh, and that's what Mr. Mueller did. Well, you have evidence of uh, inappropriate conduct, serial evidence involving Hillary Clinton and the espionage. See, I'm so tired of this BS. I'm so tired of these platitudes, these these canned answers. Well, we have evidence of wrongdoing. You know, we're going to really... No, you're not. That's the whole point of this hearing. You're not. When you have evidence of real wrongdoing, you took a pass. When you have evidence of no wrongdoing... You're digging for wrongdoing. That's the point of the hearing, Mr. Deputy Attorney General. Go ahead. He learned about this issue. He took action. Wow, that Mueller, he took action. And part of the action he took was to cover it up and obstruct it, to make sure that members of Congress and the relevant committees, the chairman and the ranking members, wouldn't know about it. Tell me, when did Mr. Mueller tell the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee about Mr. Strzok? When did he tell the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee about Mr. Strzok? Never. It leaked. It leaked. And who was trying to get to the bottom of this months ago, including with subpoenas? The chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes, or the subpoenas came later. But he, he had this guy on his target list. He was trying to get information. He couldn't get any answers. Jim Jordan. Does an outstanding job, too. Cut 20, go. But I want to focus on one in particular. One in particular. And this uh, this is a text message from Mr. Strzok to Miss Page, 
recalling a conversation and a meeting that took place in Andy, uh, Andrew McCabe's office, deputy director of the FBI, recalling a meeting earlier. And Mr. Strzok says this, I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office. Then there's a break. Dash, it says that there's no way he gets elected. No way Trump gets elected. He says, I want to believe that. You said that in a meeting in Andrew McCabe's office. I want to believe that. But then he goes, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. But this goes to intent. He says, we can't take the risk that, you know, the people of this great country might elect Donald Trump president. We can't take this risk. This is Peter Strzok, head of counterintelligence at FBI. This is Peter Strzok, who I think had a hand in that dossier that was all dressed up and taken to the FISA court. Let me stop you there. I agree with him completely. I agree with him completely. I believe there's a cover-up on this. I really do. That this guy had a hand in writing uh, the application for the FISA court warrant. I absolutely believe that. Go ahead. Risk. We have to do something about it. Now, don't forget the timeline here either, Mr. Rosenstein. Peter Strzok, January 10th, he's the guy who changes the exoneration letter from gross negligence, criminal standard, to extreme carelessness. July 2nd, he's the guy who sets in on the Clinton interview. July 5th, 2016, that's when Comey has the press conference and says, we're not going to prosecute. Clinton's okay, we're not going to prosecute. And then August 2016, we have this text message. The same month that the Russian investigation is opened at the FBI, August 2016. And my guess is that's the same month that the application was taken to the FISA court to get the warrants to spy on Americans. Using this dossier that the Clinton campaign paid for, Democrats paid for, fake news, all dressed up, taken to the court. So I got really just a couple basic questions. Because it seems to me if the answer to any of these of those two questions, if the answer is yes, if you guys paid Christopher Steele at the same time the Democrats in the Clinton campaign were painting, or if you took the dossier, dressed it all up, took it to the FISA court, and used that as the basis to get warrants, and now we have intent in this in this text message saying that there's another text message my colleague referenced it earlier, where Mr. Strzok says. I can protect our country at many levels. Says it with all the humility he could muster. I can protect our country at many levels. This guy thought he was Super Agent James Bond at the FBI. This is obvious. I'm afraid we can't take that risk. We can't. There's no way we can let the American people make Donald Trump the next president. I got to protect our country. This is unbelievable. Now I'm letting these clips play on because most of you <clears throat> were at work. While this hearing was taking place, I think this is a very, very important hearing. I think it's a very important hearing because they are trying to expose the the uh, partisanship, the uh, poisonous environment that that is taking place here, that exists here, how political it is, and it's very, very important in a republic that this sort of thing be uncovered because Mueller's just marching ahead. Marching ahead, marching ahead with his group of leftists. Now, there's another chunk here I want to play of Jim Jordan, Mr. Producer. Let's go to cut 14. Go. And I'm here to tell you, Mr. Rosenstein, I think the public trust in this whole thing is gone. So it seems to me you got two things you can do. You're the guy in charge. You're the guy who picked Mueller. You're the guy who wrote the memo saying why he needed to fire Comey. You're the guy in charge. You could disband the Mueller special prosecutor, and you can do what we've all called for. 
appoint a second special counsel to look into this, to look into Peter Strzok, Bruce Orr, everything else we've learned in the last several weeks. Yes, Congressman, and uh, I can assure you that I consider it very important to make sure the thorough review is done. Uh, and our Inspector General is doing a thorough review. That's how we found those text messages as part of that review. Let me, you've, you've given that answer like 15 times. Let me ask you this. Are you concerned? I mean, this is what a lot of Americans are believing right now, and I certainly do. That the Comey FBI and the Obama Justice Department worked with one campaign to go after the other campaign. That's what everything points to. Think about what we've learned in the last several weeks. We, we first learned they paid for the dossier. Then we learned about Peter Strzok. And last week we learned about Bruce Orr and his wife, Nellie. I mean, this is unbelievable. So what's it going to take to get a second special counsel to answer these questions and find out, was Peter Strzok really up to what I think he was? I, I think it's important to understand, Congressman, we have an inspector general who has 500 employees and a $100 million budget. Uh, and this is what he does. He investigates allegations of misconduct involving department employees. That review that he is conducting is what turned up those text messages. It will also involve interviews of those persons and of other witnesses. Mm -hmm. So he's, uh, it's, it's like the, for the Senate, it's the Senate Ethics Committee, you know. Uh, so we'll wait for the Inspector General. Now, just so you folks understand something. As Mr. Rosenstein is the Deputy Attorney General, he doesn't have to wait for the Inspector General. He can appoint a special counsel if he chooses. And there's somebody else who has the power to appoint a special counsel through this process. You know who that is, Mr. Producer? The Attorney General of the United States. He's not rec recused from everything. Uh, this is tangentially related to Russia, but the substance is corruption at the highest levels of the FBI and in some aspects of the special counsel's office and the Department of Justice. It sounds to me like a perfectly legitimate use of a special counsel. And I have a few that I would suggest we point. You know, we could point Joe to Geneva, you know, somebody like that. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This body is going to be looking at a resolution supporting the public display of the Ten Commandments. Listen, yeah, listen carefully. It's a very interesting case in the state of Alabama where Judge Roy Moore, who presides over a circuit court, this courtroom, a wood-carved plaque containing the Ten Commandments. Challenged by a uh, judge to take those down, uh, the governor of Alabama, uh, Fob James, has uh, stated that he will do whatever it takes to keep the Ten Commandments up in that courtroom, including calling in the National Guard. It is sure to be an entertaining debate tomorrow and very interesting, and I believe a very important debate. But sadly, the entertainment is going to come from those people who will floor to try to twist history, try to continue the revision of history that would separate country from its heritage. You know, we have a very proud heritage of faith freedom in this country. You know who that was, ladies and gentlemen? Way back, March 3rd, 1997, a backbencher congressman by the name of Joe Scarborough, defending Roy Moore, defending the state of Alabama, defending the display of the Ten Commandments in the state courthouse. Chew on that one. I'll be right back.
versus left is right versus wrong. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. Charles Barkley, ladies and gentlemen, says Democrats have basically uh, taken advantage of blacks. And so he, what did he do? He supported a Democrat in uh, Alabama. There you go. What do I know? Yes, that was Joe Scarborough, right, Mr. Producer? And I want to give a hat tip to my buddy Steve Dace, who dug that up from 20 years ago. Joe Scarborough, before he was seeking fame and fortune at MSLSD as a left-wing kook sellout, he came to the strong defense of Roy Moore, came to the strong defense of the Ten Commandments in the courthouse, came to the strong defense of Roy Moore challenging a federal judge, and went to the floor of the House to say so. Would you like to listen to the again for some fun entertainment? Turn up your volume. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. Tomorrow, this body is going to be looking at a resolution supporting the public display of the Ten Commandments. And it's been a very interesting case in the state of Alabama where Judge Roy Moore, who presides over a circuit court, this courtroom, a wood-carved plaque containing the Ten Commandments. Challenged by uh, Judge to take those down, uh, the governor of Alabama, uh, Fob James, has uh, stated that he will do whatever it takes to keep the Ten Commandments up in that courtroom, including calling in the National Guard. It is sure to be an entertaining debate tomorrow and very interesting, and I believe a very important debate. But sadly, the entertainment's going to come from those people who will floor to try to twist history, try to continue the revision of history that would separate country from its heritage. You know, we have a very proud heritage of freedom in this country. Mm-hmm. We do, Joe. What happened to this guy? Bang his head too many times? Now, there have been some people, lawyers, writing at these pseudo-conservative sites, who condemn Roy Moore for the stance he took on the Ten Commandments, for the fact that he should have obeyed a federal court order. Uh, insisting that they remove the Ten Commandments. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? No, you know, Mark, he has to follow a federal court order. Does the Constitution compel the removal of the Ten Commandments from a state courthouse on any level? Separation of church and state. Right. Well, that's not in the Constitution. That was a concoction, a fiction. They came out of the court in the 1940s for the purpose of discriminating against little Catholic kids when the buses would go and pass the bus stops. Oh, yeah. The case is called Everson. Now, some people will read that and say, wait a minute. The court said that those kids could be picked up. That's not the point. Hugo Black was a Klansman uh, in Alabama, appointed by FDR. Isn't it funny how things change? Confirmed by the Democrats. Hailed by liberal media, including the New York Slimes, over all the decades that he was on the bench. Uh, He switched his vote, moved to the majority so he could write the opinion, but his purpose was to attack the church, the Catholic Church. See, they're a flesh and blood. That he'll never get the Roy Moore treatment, even though Roy Moore was never a representative of the Ku Klux Klan. 
I'm not defending. I'm not a special pleader here. I'm just explaining. Who gets the right history and who doesn't? Who we can call angels and who we have to call devils. So we have some modern lawyers today who are totally unencumbered with the history of the court, the history of a lot of these cases. They read them in a sterile room with a sterile mind. And they think Roy Moore is an absolute nut. Roy Moore has said things about gays and so forth that I absolutely reject. But I'm talking about this point. This point. So a federal court orders a state court to remove the Ten Commandments from the state court house. Here's my second question. Not only where is this compelled by the Constitution, but where does a federal court get off telling a state court that it must remove the Ten Commandments from the state courthouse? Then here's my third point. Those Ten Commandments, Moses himself carved into the Supreme Court building. (laughs) The Supreme Court of the United States, the federal Supreme Court. They haven't chiseled them off. They haven't done any of that sort of ISIS stuff. They're not pulling down statues or any of the other stuff that the left likes to do. No. They're still there. How can it be that a state court has the Ten Commandments in their courthouse, and that's unconstitutional, but the Supreme Court has the Ten Commandments chiseled into its building, and that's not unconstitutional? In fact, how can it be that any of it's unconstitutional? Well, you see, you're not allowed to have two sides in this, or more, according to some of the genius writers. And they know who they are. Oh, what do you mean? She got out by a federal order. Yeah, sure. Well, I want to know where the federal judiciary gets the authority to do this. Judicial review. I said I want to know where the federal judiciary gets the authority to do this. Can't just throw around the term judicial review. I happen to agree as a matter of constitutional law, federal constitutional law, not Supreme Court precedent as a result of Hugo Black, but federal constitutional law, that Roy Moore was right. There is no federal constitutional basis for removing, forcing the removal of the Ten Commandments from a courthouse, or a federal court forcing a state court to remove the Ten Commandments from the state courthouse. And of course, the absolute inconsistency, insanity, when the highest federal court has the Ten Commandments chiseled into its building. You know... <clears throat> There's one week left for Chaminade's Christmas and holiday sale, and the countdown continues. Introducing the brand new Genesel treatment for droopy eyelids. Now here's Mary from Fort Collins, Colorado. I don't believe everything I hear. So I tried this eye lift on my right eye. The next day at work, everybody said my right eye looked better. I couldn't believe it. Yes, all the saggy lines on your eyelids disappear. Best of all, this breath breakthrough eyelid treatment is yours free with your order of Genesel for bags and puffiness. Plus, you'll also get Genesel immediate effects for 12-hour results. Go to Genesel.com, that's Genesel.com, or call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Gets better, you know. 
you order in the next 20 minutes, uh, you'll get two more classics. Esoteric RF Collagen Builder and Deep Firming Serum. Free. I sure hope my buddy Teddy's listening. Call or click in the next 10 minutes to get the Laysen's Neck Treatment and Express Shipping free with guaranteed Christmas delivery. you got to act quickly. Order now to get six free gifts, 800 Skin 604. Supplies are limited and going fast. So I say 800 Skin 604, 800 Skin 604, or go to Genesal.com. You know, ladies and gentlemen, as a side point, there's nothing more monotonous, pathetic, and outrageous than some clown getting behind a microphone trying to lecture you about faith in God when that clown has no knowledge, no profound knowledge, no unique knowledge about faith or God. In my humble opinion, just my opinion. Can you think of anything more boring, Mr. Producer? I can't. A Jimmy Swaggart wannabe? A Jimmy Swaggart wannabe. Thinks people give a damn about what he has to say. Give a damn about what he has to say. I make a prediction. In a year, two years, or whatever, that slob won't even be on the radio. Just a guess. My guess is he can't hold an audience. I don't know. I could be wrong. Weirder things have happened. Weirder things have happened. All right, let's take some calls here. Let's see here. John, San Antonio, Texas, Sirius Satellite. Go. Hey, uh, Mark. Listen, I um, am glad to hear that the Republican leadership has helped deliver this tremendous victory down in Alabama. And I guess I'm just concerned about it as a conservative because I don't know how many more of these victories that we can stand. Yeah, great point. Well, sir, you must be a reprobate. You must be a Christian who has rejected your religion. You, sir, must be a phony conservative who believes in situational morality and ethics. There must be something fundamentally wrong with you. Mentally and in every way, John. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any teeth, and I uh, shop at Walmart, and I'm yeah, right. just like about 60% of this country. And, you know, we've delivered to Mitch McConnell and his ilk tremendous opportunity, and they're squandering it. And I no longer consider them. I'm, I, I worked, worked for Reagan when he ran, and I voted for every one of these empty suits that they've pushed forward as a Republican candidate since then. And I've, I've gotten to the point now where I watch this Senate in this House with a Republican president. we got everything that we've ever wanted, and they get nothing done. And I can guarantee you, and you know this is true, um, if the Democrats had this, they get so much done. All they need is one vote majority. That's all they need, right? And uh, if, they, if it was 50-49, say there's a vacancy or whatever, or 50-50 and they had the vice presidency, they'd be ramming through everything. Well, I just heard tonight, sir, that they have come up with a agreement, the House and Senate, on taxes. I hope it's a good one. Well, who knows? Who knows what, it, what we're going to see? You know, these guys... Uh 
Now, and by the way, let game. me comment on that. Can I comment on that with you briefly? You bet. You see, I have a different way of doing radio. I don't put on the pom-poms and I'm not a rockhead. I see these tax bills that are being discussed, and I fight them. I fight them to make them better. I fight them to lower the top rate, not to increase it. I fight them to uh, to allow people to make deductions on their property taxes and the that is their and, and their income taxes in the state level. I fight them to make these individual uh, rate cuts across the board and as permanent as the corporate rate t- uh, cuts. This is the only way that we can pressure them. I don't sit here and and wave the Republican flag and say whatever they do is great when we're not even sure 100% when they're finished. It is the process that we have to participate in. That's when we have to raise these issues. I don't know what their little uh, deal is, but I hope they've addressed every single thing that we on this program, I and you and my audience, have been discussing. You agree, John? Absolutely. You know, it's um, it, it is... Uh, <laughs> They've always, you know, I've always been taught that, you know, the whole process is compromise. And if everybody walks away not quite happy, but they feel like they got what they needed, that's democracy. I just want to make sure we're happy. Right. All right, John. Excellent call. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. This body is going to be looking at a resolution supporting the public display of the Ten Commandments. And it's been a very interesting case in the state of Alabama where Judge Roy Moore, who presides over circuit court, this courtroom, a wood-carved plaque containing the Ten Commandments. Challenged by uh, Judge to take those down, uh, the governor of Alabama, uh, Fob James, has uh, stated that he will do whatever it takes to keep the Ten Commandments up in that courtroom, including calling in the National Guard. It is sure to be an entertaining debate tomorrow and very interesting, and I believe a very important debate. But sadly, the entertainment is going to come from those people who will implore to try to twist history, try to continue the revision of history that would separate country from its heritage. You know, we have a very proud heritage of freedom in this country. There you have it, the late, not great, uh, Joe Scarborough. 20 years ago on the floor of the House of Representatives, defending Roy Moore, his position on the Ten Commandments, and so forth. By the way, let me address something else quickly. I see some of our uh, some headlines on our friend uh, Matt Drudge's homepage. Senate majority hangs by short hairs. Agenda on ropes. Now, folks, ever hear of Susan Collins? Ever hear of Lisa Murkowski? Ever hear of these liberal, progressive Republicans? Now, Roy Moore isn't the one that sunk Obamacare repeal. We've been having these short hair problems, the agenda on the ropes, as a result of progressive Republicans who are currently in the Senate, when we had 52 Republicans, a two-vote majority or whatever it was. So the fact that they're down to one, that or whatever it is, um, 
It's not like things are going to change. It's not like things are going to change. He still have Susan Collins in there and Lisa Murkowski and so forth. He still have them in there. Are they fooling somebody? Here they were. They were pushing the agenda. Oh, pushing. We're going to get the wall. Going to get this. Now it's all screwed up. It was all screwed up. You know, thousands of people seeking home security get ripped off every day. You get locked into long-term contracts, stuck writing huge checks with no way out. It's robbery itself, and it can cost you thousands. Now, there's a smarter way to protect your home with Simply Safe Home Security. These are the guys I trust, and here's why. Simply Safe has no contracts. There's no commitment, no lock-ins, period. You can cancel anytime you want. Simply Safe was built by a Harvard educated engineer to make home security effortless. And the system is wireless and portable with a cellular connection built right in. You get professional monitoring with police dispatch, so your home is safe around the clock. And with Simply Safe, 24-7 protection is just 15 bucks a month. Most places charge three times that. It's unbeatable protection at a great value, and there are no contracts. Right now, you can get a special 10% discount when you go to simplysafemark.com and order today. That's simplysafemark.com for 10% off your home security. Simplysafemark.com. You know, Mr. Producer, I was just thinking, is Marco Rubio still around? We don't hear from Marco Rubio anymore. He used to text me. His people used to contact you. They don't want anything to do with us, do they? We run a great interview on Levin TV. You can even go online and see it. I don't even hear from my buddy Mike Lee anymore. Jeez, I must really be kryptonite. Oh, well. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Senate majority hangs by short hairs. Yeah, let me tell you. The Senate majority always has. When you have liberals like Susan Collins... And Murkowski and others who gutted the repeal of Obamacare. And they had their two-vote majority and they still gutted the repeal. And that's why the base is disgusted. They'll never understand it. The phony the intellectuals, the pseudo-intellectuals uh, among conservatives and Republicans, they'll never get it. Ladies and gentlemen, guess what? We've got a full hour left. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. few corrections in the media that I want to make. Number one. Even Republicans keep saying, you know, Ken Starr, when he was the independent counsel investigating Clinton's uh, endless scandals, he kept expanding his investigation. That's actually not true. The person who kept expanding Ken Starr's uh, mandate was Janet Reno. She didn't want to appoint new uh, independent counsels, and she kept giving the stuff to Ken Starr. How do I know? Because I was there. I saw it. 
So Starr didn't keep expanding his uh, authority. It was expanded for him, and basically he didn't even want it to be expanded. The second point is this. The establishes trying to create a, uh, a an argument by rewriting history about how challengers, uh, we, we'd have more Republican senators but for the idiots who keep challenging these magnificent Republican incumbents. I just want you to remember, first of all, if Mitch McConnell has had his way, there would have been no Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Marco Rubio, and a host of others. There would have been uh, some really lousy Republicans in the United States Senate. But they never talk about what they've done. Again, but for the Tea Party, but for the conservative movement, there wouldn't be a Republican House, Senate, or a Republican president, period. But they're dispiriting you. They're deflating you. Let me remind you of the 2006 midterm elections, because Mitch McConnell won't, and certainly Karl Rove, the so-called architect, who must have built the Leaning Tower of Pisa, uh, they don't want you to remember it. It's only 11 years ago. It's only 11 years ago. How about you, Stephen Law? Another schmo. The Democrats gained six Senate seats. Remember, the president was George W. Bush. By defeating Republican senators in the states of Missouri, Montana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Virginia. Okay? The Democrats gained 30 House seats from from the Republicans. So with Rove in charge, the establishment fully in charge of the RNC, the White House, and the House and the Senate, they lost the House and the Senate in 2006. The Gingrich Revolution that gave us the House was no more was no more. For the first time since the midterm elections of 1994, the Gingrich Revolution, the Democrat Party gained control of both houses of the United States Congress. When Karl Rove was the deputy chief of staff and all these never-Trumpers were working at the White House, starting at the top with George W. Bush. They lost the Congress. And, of course, Nancy Pelosi became the Speaker of the House. And Harry Reid became the leader of the Senate. That is what Karl Rove delivered. I don't know where he gets this reputation as this genius when it comes to elections. But he delivered the Democrats the House and the Senate in 2006. And it was the Tea Party that rose up that they hate and still hate. The remnants of which are still here. They gave them the House, the Senate, and the presidency. But they hate us. Don't forget this, 2006. 2006. Karl Rove, the architect. How come he's never asked about this? How come that never shows up on his resume when he's on TV telling us about how lousy conservatives are?
Karl Rove, who was involved in Alabama in the Republican primary, trashing Mo Brooks to try and clear the way for a runoff between Roy Moore and Luther Strange. I hope you... You know what, Mr. Producer, we're going to play the first hour during the holidays again. Because at least on this program, we're not going to let the truth escape. The way in which the Washington establishment Republicans, led by McConnell, led by Rove, led by this guy, Stephen Law. Who was the, uh, the Ted Cruz guy? I forget his Jeff Rowe, led by that guy, too. All a cabal. All got together. A cartel, if you will. Fat, dopey guy keeps using that word. A cartel, if you will. Uh, that was used to meddle in the election in Alabama. Because they thought they could beat Roy Moore with Luther Strange. So they, they went out and tried to destroy Mo Brooks and defeated him. And by the way, we wish Mo Brooks well. He announced on the floor of the House today that he has prostate cancer. And let me add this. Senator McCain is in the hospital from side effects for the treatment of his brain cancer. And we wish him all the best, too. Um, anyway, 2006, those midterm elections, those are on the Bush people. Those are on the Never Trumpers. Those are on Carl uh, Rove. Those are on uh, Mitch McConnell. Because they want to keep you know, pointing, well, you remember that? Race in Delaware that we should have won. And remember, remember this one we should have won. They lost the entire House of Representatives. They lost the entire United States Senate. They want to talk about a race here and oh, you remember this one over there and that one over there. We would have won it with our great candidates. Well, you lost it, you jerks. You lost the House and the Senate and everything else. And then we came in. We won the governorships, we won state legislatures, we took the House, we took the Senate, we took the presidency. No thanks to Carl Rove, no thanks to Mitch McConnell. Her! Hey, you know what we're doing here in the United States Senate? I'm going to tell you something here. We just lost the seat to Doug Jones. I set the whole day there in Alabama. Set the whole stage there in Alabama for Luther. Luther Strange. We love Luther Strange here on Capitol Hill. Because he was going to vote for me to be the majority leader. I poured everything I could into that state. Oh, yeah. I thought we could beat that Roy Moore, but he beat us. So we had to beat him again. Oh, yeah. And we took the high, moral high ground here. Oh, yeah, we're the moral high. We're all about morality up here on Capitol Hill. We're the United States Senator. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's hear from the people. Don't forget, we have two lines, one for regular Americans and one for liberals. 877-381-3811, regular Americans. 877-381-3811 for irregular Americans. Liberals. Let's go to Troy. Let's take a uh, disagreeer. Frenchwood, Frenchwood, Texas. Never heard of it. The great KTRH. How are you, Troy? I'm wonderful. And it uh, actually was started as a Quaker town. That's where the name comes from. Really? But, well, honestly, uh, I don't even care. But anyway, go right ahead. Well, a quick little note was funny. is I used to be a, a conservative political writer for the Austin American Statesman. 
and the editor of the newspaper was Mark Levin. And ever since <laughs> I first wasn't heard me. on the radio, I, exactly. But I always like because he was coming in turning, and he is very politically involved. But right. anyway, it's an imposter. Election, uh, there you go. Don't worry, he's conservative. But this election, uh, I very much think does have something to do with Trump. I think there's already two gu- gubernatorial races that have switched hands. And historically speaking, and it happened to Clinton. Let's, uh, what, to Clinton. what two gubernatorial races have switched hands? Seriously, I'm not familiar with it. Uh, New Jersey and... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. New Jersey was never going to go Republican. And in the case of, uh, of uh, Virginia, it didn't switch hands. And in fact, um, a gentleman who was very close to the Bush team and so forth, who's a very nice guy, by the way, was was not considered a movement conservative. He ran, and he lost. Okay. Well, it. Uh, his- oh, there goes my theory. No, I I swear I'm correct. But if you're correct, okay. I thought it was two governorships had already switched. If it's only one, I apologize. But his. Story- How long did you think we were going to hold on to the governorship in New Jersey? About as long, I kind of figured it'd be as long as Texas. No, really? Well, all right. You said you were a conservative, moved to liberal. I get it now, but go right ahead. Uh, no, I'm a very conservative liberal, like uh, conservative philosophies, like my house is paid off. I got bunches of money in the bank. You're a conservative liberal. Are you a classical? I'm, I'm totally confounded. Well, no, I mean, I, I very much have liberal ideology. You have a liberal ideology for all of us, but a conservative one for yourself. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, No, I'm saying, like, I believe in no debt. I believe in family. You believe in no debt? My very first. uh, Do you have a mortgage? First wife. Hello. What what about your first wife? I'm still married to my very first wife. Oh, okay. But what does that have to do with no debt? Sir, what are you trying to say tonight? Please help me. Okay, anyway, I think this You're is in Frenchwood, Texas, a Quaker town. Go ahead. Correct. I think this is 100% related to Trump. I think we've never had... If, you th- if Donald Trump were to run in Alabama, do you think he'd win? Uh... Probably, but they still think marrying your cousin's okay for the most oh, part. Oh, aren't you nice? Aren't you nice? I see. How many teeth do you have? They, they are... Where do they rank? I see. So you're a liberal bigot. You don't mean you're a liberal. You're a liberal bigot. No, I'm not a bigot. Get off my phone, you jerk. I've spent enough time with you. Let's go to Eric, Los Angeles, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Yes, I'm a first-time caller, Mark. Um, Yeah, everything you're saying today gives cushion to my insistence that I've been telling people that the people are going to get fed up with the likes of McCain, McConnell, and Murkowski, and the others you mentioned, plus more that I could mention, that we need an alternative American party. All right, sir, I hear this about once every other week. So which party do you want to start? <laughs> well, the American, an American party. No, 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 wait. What party do you want to start? What's the name of it? Call it the American Party. The American because- Party. Party. We are a one-party. You know, if you Google, you know there's 40 or 50 third parties in this country, right? 
I don't care about them. They don't amount to a hill of beans, and you know and that. You're going, to start, you're going to start your own, and that will amount to a hill of beans. Well, if we get a party that's backing Trump... Now, don't give me the we. Are you starting this party? Hmm? I, don't get, I don't get it when people call me and they say, we need to this, we need to that, we need to this. And then they hang up and said, Esther, I'd like a little sponge cake, please. In other words, what are you doing about this third party stuff? Well, right now, I've been talking to people about it, that we don't have... Really? you got people walking down the street talking about hemorrhoids. What are you doing about it? Well... Nothing. I do, I do happen to be a book author, but I'm not plugging that. I'm not calling you to plug that. I, I, sir, I don't, I don't... None of that matters to me. I get people call and say, I'm gay. And I say, well, why do you have to tell me that? I don't care. You're a book author. Good for you. Now, what are you going to do to start your third party? The American Party. Well, we have to start organizing disaffected Democrats and Republicans. What do you mean we? It's you who have to start organizing. What, do you, who, what is this we stuff? You agree with me. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Mark, you're so harsh. No, I'm not. I'm trying to talk sense into people. We need to start this means it's never going to get started. Right? We need to do this. We need to be on the radio. We need to write a book. We need to be on TV. Well, we, it doesn't happen that way, does it? Takes a courageous person doing something. But there are multitudes of third parties out there. Multitudes. And if you think all of a sudden most of the Republicans are going to move into this third party, you're wrong. Can anybody give me an example? We have a former president at the beginning of the last century who was enormously popular at one time, Theodore Roosevelt, a progressive nationalist Republican. And uh, he had served almost two terms. He was sworn in after McKinley's assassination. And then Howard uh, Taft was elected as vice president to the presidency, and he didn't like Taft much. He decided to form a third party. The Progressive Party, that's what it was called. Its nickname was Bull Moose. And he came in second and he lost and he elected Woodrow Wilson, President of the United States. Another progressive, but a different kind of progressive. And the modern Democrat Party was born with Woodrow Wilson. Hey, we we need a third party. Hey, we need a third party. I'll stick with the Reagan position, which is no... We need to take over the Republican Party. And what's interesting about this is the is the old guard and the resistance. When you say you want to take over the Republican Party, it's and you see how these guys always lose. Look, look at Nevada. Look, look at Delaware. Look at this. They get blown out election after election. If we don't come to their rescue, they're never held to account. They lie through their teeth about big stuff like repealing Obamacare and so forth and so on. And we're supposed to just take it. So we we need to start a third party. Well, who 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 is this we? We need to elect more conservatives, like Mo Brooks, to the United States Senate. Actually, what we really need to do, and what we are doing, is to endorse Convention of States in Article Five. And it is amazing to me how many pseudo conservative and conservative outlets uh, absolutely ignore the effort. They ignore it because you want to know why? They're very, very comfortable with big centralized government and a lame Republican Party. I'll be right back. Mark Levin.
Omaha, Nebraska, the great K-O-I-L. Go. Hey, Mark. Hey, I just want to say, I think right now establishment, so-called establishment and the conservative Tea Party movement, they need to work together in choosing better candidates because not every candidate for Tea Party is going to be your Ted Cruz or your uh, Mike Lee. And not, you know, sometimes you're going to get stuck with a Roy Moore. And to be honest with you, Luther Strange. Sir, sir we, can't, we can't work together if they're attacking us. Uh, that's like saying when Reagan was trying to be the nominee, can't you work together with the Bush people? Can't you work together with, uh, with the, with the moderate elements within the Republican Party? No, he had to win. He had to defeat them. And it amazes me when people talk like this. And no offense, I'm just saying. Like if having a majority of constitutional conservatives who are actually trying to turn this country around is extremist or an impossibility. We have a lot of red states in this country. Last time I checked, there were 30, give or take, in terms of the Trump victory in the Electoral College. Why is it okay that if we have a massive majority of nothing burgers, mashed potato heads, uh, as opposed to people who have some principle? Why is it if you support liberty and the Constitution and capitalism and a nation state and a, a strong defense that... You're just too right-wing, and we can't have a majority, but we can have five of you, maybe, five out of a hundred. But that's about it. Please. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, making conservatism great again. Dial in now, 877-381-381. Three eight one one. I've noticed maybe you have too that hosts on TV and radio have really good hearing. I mean, other than my man Rush, but especially on TV they have great hearing. The first hour I did this program was just repeated by somebody. I put out on Facebook and Twitter. I'd say fairly soon after the election, my comments about McConnell and what took place in a very truncated form, then, of course, I've expanded on them here. The moment I did that, other people with very good eyesight read it and on cable TV, and they repeated it too, Mr. Producer. I'm trying to figure out how to monetize this. How do you monetize plagiarism? I'm not sure. And many of the people who do this talk about, oh, the morality. Oh. You know, doing a lot of holiday shopping... From your mobile device, retailers expect 54% of holiday shoppers to visit their sites from mobile devices. Scammers see this as an opportunity to steal your credit card information and other personal data by distributing phony retail apps. Be cautious and only download apps from reputable app stores and read the reviews for any complaints about malware. One in four people have experienced identity theft, and if you're only monitoring your credit, your identity can still be stolen in ways you may not detect. Thieves could sell your information on the dark web or get an online payday loan in your name. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. Now, if you have a problem, a U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can uncover threats that you might miss. Join now and get 10%, 10% off with promo code LEVIN. That's L-E-V-I-N. All you have to do is call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to lifelock.com. Use promo code LEVIN. That's LEVIN, and you'll save 
immediately. Well, let's see who else is out there. I, I will say this. I'm very, very concerned about the heavy losses the Republicans could take in the midterm elections. I think a lot of that is due, uh, even though the effort now is to say it's Roy Moore, even though Roy Moore is defeated and Donald Trump and so forth. No, I think that the effort is due to the Republican majority in the House and the Senate. Even if we get a decent tax bill, and that's yet to be seen, that's one thing. Oh, Mark, we have limited majority. So what? You still have a majority. So what? All righty. Let's see. Let us go to Leon, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, on Sirius Satellite. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, yeah, I was going to just kind of uh, address the Alabama Senate race from yesterday. Um, at the end of the day, any Republican in the entire state of Alabama, other than Rowan or more, could have went up against Doug Jones and trounced him in the, in the election. Um, I was a Mo Brooks guy. Um, I was disappointed that he didn't get the nomination. Um, and, um, and I held my nose and voted for more just simply because I didn't want Jones in there, to be honest. And, uh, 100% of this lays at McConnell, at the feet of, at the feet of, uh, McConnell, at the feet of Jeff Flake, and, um, and at the feet of Richard Shelby, uh, as well as the rest of the establishment Republicans who were calling for him to drop out and everything else after the allegations and stuff came out. And, um, and, and, I, and I have a, uh, a firm belief that in the next Well, let me just slow down because you make a good point. Clearly, the Republican Party got what it wanted. Oh, and, uh, and the Republican Party blew it from the beginning, as I've explained in exquisite detail with the McConnell, McConnell antics, the money, not just him, uh, Carl Rove, Stephen Law. What the hell is that other guy's name? I keep. Oh, and Jeff Rowe. They all went in there and others, heavy duty, to try and get a face-off between uh, Roy Moore and Luther Strange because they were afraid of Mo Brooks. They threatened Mo, Mo Brooks' own seat by uh, putting up somebody to uh, run against him in the primary and his house seat in Huntsville, Alabama. And they spent a fortune <coughs> trying to recreate Mo Brooks into a liberal. It's really immoral, and it's really unethical when you have people like Karl Rove and Stephen Law and uh, this guy Rowe, and then, of course, uh, McConnell himself. They don't want to debate the issues. They just try and smear somebody like Mo Brooks. I was a Mo Brooks supporter, too. And in the end, I agree with you. In the end, uh, I would have preferred uh, Roy Moore to Doug Jones. And the reason is simple. I have a family. We have a country. Uh, we have a government that's out of control. We have great threats overseas, and the president needs the additional vote. I didn't create the Roy Moore scenario. Mitch McConnell created the Roy Moore scenario. The Republican establishment, uh, by their uh, arrogance and by their interference in the race in Alabama, created it. And I just want you to know, Leon, a lot of people apparently agree with me because they're now repeating it on TV. Anyway, go ahead. Well, um, at, at the end of the day, um, I'll go ahead and make a, a solid prediction for 2018. Um, that Jones will be replaced by whatever Republican candidate comes up. And so you're saying the day he is sworn in, he's a lame duck. Absolutely. I agree with you because he's a real leftist. He's not. He's not a Southern Democrat. He's a Massachusetts Democrat. Yeah, if he wants to save his seat, he better caucus with Republicans instead of the Democrats. Well, they um, uh, Yeah, I know it's not going to happen, but. Uh, 
but at the end of the day, he'll be replaced. And because of his um, his stance on the issue, uh, Richard Shelby will be replaced as well. Because uh, because I don't know. I looked. He got like sixty five percent of the vote last time. Yeah. And everybody needs to know he used to be a Democrat, and then he converted to a Republican. Yeah, but at the at the time of the last election, he didn't come out against someone who was running against a Democrat in Alabama either. You mean before before this election? There was another case? No, no, no. Um, no, before this election, there wasn't one, so that's the reason he pulled 55% of the vote. I see, I see, all right. All right, Leon, you take care of yourself. Let us go to Steve, Kansas City, Kansas. The great KCMO. Uh, Steve, what the hell has happened to your football team? Uh, it's not my football team. I'm a Bronco fan. What and the hell's that, happened that, to that, that team? That's even worse. That's even yeah, worse. I mean, uh, you can't hide behind Denver. No, no, not at all. Anyway, well, uh, happy it's too depressing. Well, thank you. Thank you, sir. And um, also, thank you for the education you give us every night and making your stuff readily available on the Mark Levin app. You're um, very welcome. And I, I, a long time ago, I decided to have as many open platforms as I can on many platforms. You'll, as an example, I'll let you speak in a minute. We have the Mark Levin app. We have the iHeartRadio app. We have our digital platforms. I'm on satellite radio on the Patriot Channel. I've been there for many, many years, and we much appreciate it. We're on AM and FM radio. Uh, and you can uh, download us on your iPod. And people listen to us all the time. We're all we're all over the place. Yeah, and it, it lets us do that. People that actually have lives can get you no matter what. <laughs> okay, thank you. Anyway, um, yeah, and I may, I may be comparing apples with oranges. I don't know, but I was watching the testimony today of the um, assistant attorney general, the deputy Rod Rosenstein. Yes, and the thing about it that kind of struck me is when Jeff Sessions went to get confirmed before the Senate, um, he basically, they pressured him into recusing himself from anything Russia. Mm-hmm. But according to the assistant today, that he and Moeller are professionals and political bias doesn't play a part and they have experience at managing people with different political views mm-hmm. as agents and so forth and so on. So basically what he's saying is they have the ability to handle it. Sessions didn't. No, that's an excellent point. And, of course, they're very good at uh, praising themselves and their objectivity, aren't they? It's arrogant. And yet, and yet Mueller's activities demonstrate the opposite. His hiring uh, demonstrates absolutely the opposite. He's supposed to be a special counsel, which means really independent from the administration, not in the constitutional legal sense, but really in the appearance sense. So people can say, well, it's not the administration investigating itself. There are a lot of people who debate whether that's legit or not, and I find I find it to be a great debate. But the point is, that's where we are, and he's done the opposite. He has basically created a criminal investigative unit within a Republican administration that is staffed with Democrats. In other words, you have a poison pill within an administration. And some of the senators took him to task somewhat, but I wish they would have pushed it further comparing it to that. Well, I guess that's why I'm here and they're there, sir. All right. You take care of yourself. I appreciate it. Let's continue. Let's travel the country. Well, you'd like to travel the country with me. Let's go to Ken in Detroit on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? Well, I'm doing great, Mark. Great show as always. 
I just want to share with you a unfortunate observation that I keep seeing. Now, I happen to be a uh, conservative, Bible-believing Christian, the same type of Christian that made it possible for the U.S. Constitution to be drawn up. And, Mark, what I continue to see from the Republicans and from many in the media uh, that can identify themselves as being conservative is they hate people like me. They despise people like me. They want to criticize people like me. But then they want to turn around and ask me to vote for them in the next election. And uh, I say to these people, if you're going to keep coming after people like me, don't think I'm going to be turning uh, turning out the vote for you. And this is sad, Mark, because if they're going to be against those who drew up the Constitution, well, exactly what does that show that they really want today? Socialism. Well, you make an interesting point, and I agree with you to this extent. Progressivism has as its purpose to force any competing elements, any competing ideas, any competing ideals out of the mindset of the, of the society. And this is why you see on our college campuses today that the radical leftists, and these are radical progressives, are, are trying to silence conservatives, or even trying to silence liberal professors who just want to allow free speech. And this is how it works. This is why so many of our universities and colleges really are filled with tenured propagandists. And this is why uh, you're not allowed to actually, when, when the Gillibrand says something that's absolutely outrageous and you criticize her, and then you're a sexist. Uh, this is how they try and silence us. And they also try and change the language and the nomenclature. And I'll give you an idea. I thought you were going to bring this up. Let's take the Ten Commandments. So they say separation of church and state, which is not even a constitutional principle. It's imposed on us by a Supreme Court, um, what, 70-some years ago, particularly by a bigot on the Supreme Court. Uh, that language was used, uh, not exactly, but close enough, by Jefferson in a letter when he was writing to the Danbury Baptists. Uh, but Thomas Jefferson didn't mean it in the constitutional sense. Thomas Jefferson was not at the Constitutional Convention to begin with. Uh, he was the author, the main author of the Declaration of Independence. And yet, people screw that up. But all that said, we have a situation in our country, Ken, where it is mandated, or has been mandated by the federal government, at least in the past, uh, this idea where a men's room can be a girl's room, and a girl's room can be a men's room, and so forth and so on that you self-identify on your, your genitalia. And, and, of course, nobody appears on the left to be concerned about the possibilities that perverts would have in mind. I'm being very honest about this. Um, and yet, that is kind of mandated in the public square, right? And yet, when it comes to the Ten Commandments, the mandate is to get rid of them. And this is progressivism that's unleashed. You know, the Ten Commandments, these are fundamental laws, you don't even have to be religious to understand these are fundamental laws that undergird a civil society. They're the basic stuff that undergirds our criminal code, if you really think about it. But we're told you got to push it out because we don't want to offend and we're not going to establish a religion. How are you establishing a state religion? You're not establishing anything. You're just presenting people with the Ten Commandments. All right, Ken, I appreciate your call, my friend. Well, I gotta take a break. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
You know, while major senior groups like the AARP lobby for liberal interests behind closed doors, it can feel as if the voices of mature conservatives in this country are unheard these days. Now, that's where AMAC comes in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. It's a conservative membership organization that I belong to. And it fights to protect your interests on Capitol Hill. Fighting to protect America, limit government, rein in excessive government spending, and uphold the traditional values of faith, family, and freedom, AMAC wants to bring back the America you love. AMAC members also have access to first-rate benefits, including special rates on car insurance and exclusive deals on cell phone service, car rentals, hotels, and more. With a strong presence in Washington, AMAC is focused on producing solutions rather than just rhetoric. AMAC does more than that talk. AMAC takes action. I encourage you to join AMAC today. You can join online at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Help bring our country back in the values upon which it was built. Just head over to amac.us and become an AMAC member today. AMAC, better for you and better for America. All right. Let's see here. We have a disagreeable. Jerry, Sterling, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Mark, even though I'm politically opposite of you, I enjoy your show every night. Listen, I want to say yes. if if Mueller, Mueller cast a net blindly at FBI headquarters and rounded up 50 people, 30 of them, 30 of them would be anti-Trump because 60, no. 50 to 60% of our population believes Trump's a liar. Well, so, well, first of all, I don't know about that number, but so what? Uh, you don't know that to be true. And even if you have that belief and you're a prosecutor, an FBI agent, you keep it to yourself. You don't have 10,000 texts between you and your uh, and your paramour uh, while you're cheating on your wife on government time, and uh, you're not sending texts back and forth with outrageous statements about a president. You need to have some uh, judgment about a president who you are investigating or a candidate you are investigating uh, one way or another. You ought to have enough sense to keep your mouth shut. Now listen, you're not you're not talking to some schlub here. I worked at the Justice Department. I was chief of staff of the Justice Department to an attorney general of the United States. The reason why political appointees are not FBI agents is for that very reason. And FBI agents, and I'm tired of FBI agents being put down by liberals who just, you know, if you threw a net 30% of the FBI, I su- suggest to you that most of the FBI would actually support Trump and conservatives, not liberals. But that said, it doesn't matter. Their job is to do their job, and most of them do it, they're trained to do it, and they're professionals. And so when you have texts that reveal a, a, a very severe animus about a subject of an investigation or a potential target of an investigation, that's exactly why the inspector general raised the question. You with me? Yeah, but they threw the guy out. No fired him last summer. Well, why didn't they tell Congress for months? And why was it the Inspector General who found the texts? Mueller must have known that this guy was a no-good Nick. I mean, after all, Mueller's been hiring no-good Nicks on his staff left. Sir, you have to be a complete partisan hack with an IQ of negative 11 to see that Mueller's staff is left-wing Democrat, particularly his deputy, but not exclusively. And then you have the top FBI guy who's another leftist. Does that concern you, sir? Well, I know Mueller and, and Comey. Of course like. it doesn't. Uh, goodbye. Can I say? Can I say? I mean, 
it's really quite preposterous. I don't even have to debate this. Well, maybe we'll have a right-wing Republican FBI agent investigate him, or we'll send a right-wing IRS agent to do his tax returns. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, what do you mean? Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and you, the real Americans, regular Americans. You're going to love Levin TV tonight, by the way, and I'll see you on the radio tomorrow. God bless.